the Cowboy Jesus Podcast. It is so great to have you here. This is Steve Booth Spence, and I'm the host of the podcast. I am down in Columbine United Church's basement. I always like to thank Columbine United Church for making this studio available for me to do all things fun that I like to do. As you know, we're into the new season of Cowboy Jesus, and I've got a lot of interesting people that I want to interview, topics I want to cover. And today is a very special interview for me. I have Linda Veris with me. Linda and I have known each other for over 40 years, or about 40 years, as long as I've been mm-hmm. to Columbine. She and her husband, Jeff, uh, were, were here way back in the Ken Beal days. I go back. And Linda and I have been involved in Columbine's ministry through the entire 40 years. In fact, if you come to the contemporary worship service at Columbine United Church, the one person you need to thank more than anybody else is Linda Veris. Because Linda Veris and myself, we single-handedly introduced <laughs> con, uh, contemporary worship to Columbine United Church. So Linda, it's great to have you here on the podcast. Thank you. So what we're going to do today is uh, I want to talk about Jeff Ferris, Linda's husband, his death this past, was it springtime? February. Was in back, back boy, it feels like it was yesterday, it was back in February. Um, Jeff has a very, had a very unique death, and I asked Jeff's permission to share his story of his death right before he died, and he gave me the permission. He wanted his story out there, so it would hopefully help other people, and that's what we hope to do, because Jeff died with medical assistant dying, the MAID program, and it was an absolute blessing. It was a godsend, this law that has recently been passed here in Colorado, and so Linda and I want to talk about this together, so hopefully it can help you. Linda, it is great to have you, as I said. Tell us a little something about you real quick. Who are you? Um, well, I'm Linda, and um, Jeff and I were married for 46 years. Um, we ran a business together for almost 20 years. So um, You have kids? We have Two children and three grandchildren, Very grown cool. grandchildren. Very cool. All right. And it's really fun because I've known this family, as I said, since, <laughs> since the kids were teeny tiny little human beings and now they're grown adults. All right. Let's talk about Jeff. Talk about Jeff. Jeff had a major stroke in 2003 mm-hmm. and then a, then a large stroke in 2009. No, he didn't have a stroke. He had it was he had back surgery in 2009 oh. and after the back surgery 3 days later for some reason he went down with no detectable blood pressure okay. they never have figured out what happened okay um and then when he was released from the hospital in 2009 he recovered from his back surgery but we knew something else was wrong so at that point he was diagnosed with progressive ms uh-huh. And progressive MS is just what it sounds like. It's it's not like relapsing remitting. It progresses sometimes very rapidly, sometimes slowly, but there's no medicine or anything or injections or anything they can really do for it. But it just it when it goes, when it started for Jeff, I mean it was unrelenting. It just yeah. went. Yes. And it was debilitating. Um, I uh, I saw Jeff about once a month, 
Um, so in that in that gap between month to month, I could see it affect him dramatically as he went down, down, down to the point where he was confined to a wheelchair. We have a phone going off. Linda's phone is going off. It sounds like heavily ringing from from that. We got that turned Sorry off. Sorry about that. I forgot to say, turn off your cell phone. Uh, that's fine. No worries about that at all. So let's go back before we dive into the fact that Jeff. Um, had a stroke and his MS. Who was Jeff before this major stroke? Um, Jeff was a vivacious um, life of the party. Um, he was six one, and um, just he loved life. He loved everything about it. Yeah, I he mean, was an entrepreneur. Um, at heart, and he was a salesperson who could sell, what did they say, ice cubes to, to Eskimos. Eskimos. Yeah. I mean, he he was six one, but he had a personality that would, that made him about six six or six seven. He was uh, he was just phenomenal. He was an adventurer. Mm-hmm. He loved to scuba dive. Yes. I talked with your daughter this past Sunday, and she said, I didn't know this, they loved to scuba dive at night mm-hmm. because he didn't know what was <laughs> the What corner. was under there at night, and yeah. he wanted to figure it out. So he loved scuba diving at night. He was a big sports fan, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. loved the avalanche, loved mm-hmm. the nuggets, loved the Broncos. He was just, he was very, very active. Um he wasn't the most church-going guy in the world, but he was very supportive of Columbine, very yes. supportive of me. He and I would go. We had lunch together a couple times. We went, He took me to the hockey games a couple different times. We went to a Nuggets game a couple different times. So, I mean, he was big. He yes. was a big, huge individual that people yes. loved being around him. Um, because he, he he loved 70s rock and roll, and he would play that rock and roll at all kind of decibel levels. I mean, he was just right. a big, huge human being. And he had a great sense of humor. Oh, he had a great sense of humor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah okay, some of the jokes he told me I can't repeat here on air. But, um, okay, so he's a big person, and then things fell apart for him. Right. The stroke and then the progressive MS. Yes. So let's talk about what happened after the stroke and the MS. What happened? His um, stroke was fairly mild. And he, in 2003, the first one, and he had, he was still able to work and and stuff. Um, But in 2009, when he was diagnosed, he went from walking with a cane to walking with a walker to a wheelchair within a year or so. Right. So, right. And that's how progressive MS is. It's very fast. Right. It was a very quick descent because I remember watching him thinking every time I saw him, it's was like, oh, my gosh, this is getting bad. Yeah. And this yeah. is getting bad fast. Yes. <clears throat> and then he also had had, had diabetes for 40 years. Um, and... Then about two years ago, I would say, things just started failing fast. He had kidney disease. He was like one level away from being on dialysis. He um, 
His, he's got wounds on his legs, probably because he was in his chair 24 hours a day. Um, and Well, not 24 hours. We did let him sleep, but, <laughs> <laughs> but most of the day. So, um, And those wounds would not heal. They just kept getting reinfected and reinfected. Right. And um, his MS... He had use of only his right hand. He could not use his legs, and he could not use his left hand because of the MS and the stroke. Kind of both put it so that he could not use it. So for about 10 years, he lived with using one hand. One, because the other arm it was drawn up mm-hmm. towards mm-hmm. his chest, so mm-hmm. he had... No use of it. No. None. No use no. of it. And the amazing thing about Jeff in his uh, the, his condition as it progressed, he was the most, um, I, I, the word is an advocate for his own health. He researched everything, his medications. He, he was ahead of the neurosurgeons, the people, the doctors were working on him. He knew what to prescribe before they even knew what to prescribe. Yes. I mean, he was very assertive. That's the word I'm looking for. Dr. Internet, we yeah. called him. Yeah, yeah. He, he knew stuff before the doctors even knew things. And he was really, really good. Jeff was always really, really handy before he got sick. And so he figured out ways to do things. He put a pulley system on his bed to help him get up. Um, he just, he was just amazing at figuring out how to overcome these right. things. He had Alexa uh, when Alexa was first released. Mm-hmm. He jumped on Alexa right away, mm-hmm. and Alexa became his uh, tech buddy. I mean, yes. he used Alexa to do all different kinds of things. Turn on lights, turn off lights, um, open the garage door. Um, yeah, he was just so innovative in figuring out right. ways to help himself. Right. And he found meaning because um, I would go see him and I, and I would see, you know, how do you, what keeps you going day to day? And he was first really involved in, um, uh, what is it called, Ancestry.com. Mm-hmm. He was involved in Ancestry. He did my Ancestry. <laughs> I learned all kinds of stuff about my family from Jeff. He did ancestry. He was really big as an advocate for people with disabilities. Parking, parking, with parking was disability. His parking mm-hmm. people parking illegally in handicap uh, spaces. That was a huge passion for him. Yes, trying to get laws passed for that. Yes, and he was a member of the Colorado Disability Association, or so. uh-huh. I don't know exactly what it was mm-hmm. called, but yes. To figure out how to make it better for people who were disabled. Right. So here we, so the picture I'm trying to paint is we had this big person, physically big, emotionally big, spiritually big, spiritually big. We talked and talked and talked theology. Even before all this happened, we talked theology. So even why he didn't come to church every single Sunday, he was always actively engaged in his spirituality, his spiritual development, theology, and theological growth. So let's not dismiss that just because he wasn't a churchgoer. So we have this huge person who has an illness, a progressive illness that leaves him 
physically diminutive in a wheelchair where he has no body, but his faculties are sharp. Yes. And he knows exactly what's going on, what's happening to him. I remember asking him, Jeff, what gives you the, um, the, the ability to keep on going? You know, I said, have you ever thought about killing yourself? He says, oh, yeah, I've thought about it. I've gotten rid of all the guns in my house. I don't, cause he said, I don't want to kill myself, but I think about it. And I said, well, what keeps you going? He goes, because I love this answer. He wants to be, he said, I want to be an example to my grandkids about what it means to be resilient. I thought, man. That is such a powerful thing. I mean, if we could all be an example to somebody, to our grandkids about something, courage, resilience. Did you? Did he talk with you about that at all? Yes, yes, he did. And um, at the point that he was getting so sick as it went on, um, he actually tried to commit suicide a couple of times. He was getting very, very desperate. He was in so much pain. Um, his, he just kept saying, my body is just failing. And he knew it. And we knew there was not anything that we could do about it. I mean, right. all the doctors had said, you know. He was chronic. The pain was chronic. Oh. Every time I went over yes, there, we he, talked about the chronic pain that just never And he was not, he had decided he was not going to take opioids Uh of any kind because he did, he wanted to be mentally sharp Uh as Mm -hmm. he could be. Mm -hmm. And um, so he was really in a place of, I don't know what to do. I I, I don't want, he would tell me every day, I don't want to live in this pain anymore. I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. And um, so when in October to December of last year. Of 2022. Two. 2022. Mm-hmm, he had several incidences of um, hospitalizations, um, emergency rooms, urgent cares, and he had made the decision He worked with his palliative care team um, and had made the decision that he was not going to continue medications anymore. He was done, and he wanted, um, he did not want to live like this any longer. And we as a family had always told him, um, this is your choice. Right. We, I didn't feel, and the family didn't, our kids did not feel that we had the right to tell him he has to continue to be live in pain right. and live knowing that there was no hope right. of any getting, getting any better. Right. And so, um, again, I'm not speaking out of turn. Jeff gave me the full permission to, to tell this, and Linda and I have talked about this before the podcast, so she's on board. Um, Jeff took, attempted taking his life. He made one very serious attempt at taking his life. Yes. And it didn't work. No. And he was devastated yeah. that it didn't work. It didn't. And he didn't want to go that way. He did not want his children and grandchildren and me to have that um, 
be part of his life, that mm-hmm. he committed suicide, but he mm-hmm. was so desperate. Mm-hmm. So in December of last year, um, his medical team said, I think it's time that you go to hospice. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, his organs were failing, and he was going down pretty fast. Mm-hmm. And um, so he did go into hospice. And once he got into hospice, he decided to um, pursue the medical aid in dying. Okay, so let's talk about it. It's called MAID, medical aid in dying. So unpack made for people who might have heard about it they know that the, somehow the colorado passed law or maybe mm-hmm. they don't even know that because there's only 11 states in the union in the, in the united mm-hmm. states who have this mm-hmm. ability so what is made um it is um where you can um administer to yourself mm-hmm. a um a liquid concoction that um, helps you pass. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very strenuous um, process to, to get approved. So let's talk about that. How did Jeff get approved for MAID? Well, he uh, applied to MAID through uh-huh. our insurance. We happen to have Kaiser, but, mm-hmm. um, and they started the process. Um, and, um, it requires, um, you have to be a resident of Colorado. You have to, um, be, uh, certified by two separate doctors. Did, so did Jeff actively go, were they all Kaiser doctors or did he? They were Kaiser doctors. They came to the house, Mm -hmm. um, because they want to make sure that it's voluntary, mm-hmm. that he has thought about this, he wants to do it, he, um, no one in our home is pressuring him to do this, it's his complete decision. Right. Um, so they gave um, him information about um, what would happen. Mm-hmm. Um, what did they tell him would happen? Um, the concoction that they make up, the cocktail, they call it a cocktail, they make up um, has stuff in it that will um, stop his heart. Um, uh, his breathing will get shallow. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, But one really important thing was he they had to interview him so that they knew he was of sound mind. Right. That he had thought about this, he knew what he wanted, and both doctors did a pretty strenuous interview with right. him. Because don't, I, maybe I've got this wrong, but don't you have to be a terminal diagnosis yes. within six months that you're gonna, that yes. your disease is gonna be terminal in six months? Yes. Before you, before you can even qualify for me. Yes, yes. And uh, you also, one of the main things when the first doctor came out was he filled a glass full of water and he set it in front of Jeff because you have to ingest the medication yourself. Because that's such a key point. Because key point. And this is why if you're considering MAID, if you're hearing this, you're considering MAID, if you have a loved one who's considering it, you got to rock and roll because 
It's not euthanasia. Euthanasia is where a doctor administers the right. cocktail or, <clears throat> or somebody administers the cocktail. And it can't be that. The individual themselves has got to be physically they able. Pick up the glass and drink, drink it. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, and that was, um, you know, I think Jeff knew that his, the only hand he could use was failing also. Uh-huh. And so he knew that was part of the deal. So he wanted to be sure that he could still do that. So you qualified, so you got signed off. You qualify. So then what happens? Then you have to wait two weeks, mm-hmm. 15 days, I think mm-hmm. it is. And then you call the doctor back and you say, yes, I still want to do this. Then he puts in a then you wait another 15 days before you can pick up the medication. Um, because so, so 30 days total. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because they do not want people, oh, I'm having a bad day, so I want right. to do this. I mean, right. it has to be something that's been thought out. Um, I mean, there are, are laws of, right. that they have to follow. Right. This was Because this was a controversial law. Uh, mm-hmm. for Colorado. That mm-hmm. It took a lot of work by yes. a lot of people to get this thing passed. It was it, passed in 2016 and went into effect in 2017. Because we have to remember, only 11 states have this law allowed. And people move from all over the United States to these 11 states to so that they can qualify for MAID if they have some type right. of debilitating progressive illness that they know is eventually going to take them. They moved to Oregon, Vermont, Washington, Colorado. Yeah, in Colorado, you have to prove that you've been a resident, you're a resident right. of Colorado. Right, and that's two years, right, to be um, a resident? I don't, you know what that I is? I don't know for sure how long you have but to But you be. have to prove residency. Residency, yeah. yeah. Maybe it's a lot sh- shorter than Okay, yeah. so he gets the cocktail. Mm-hmm. And now, it's good for 30 days. So it lasts, for, so it has a shelf life of 30 days. I heard a statistics when uh, we had a speaker, Linda spoke at Columbine United Church this past Sunday, um, October, or October, September um, 17th. And we had somebody with her uh, from Compassion and Choices. Compassion and Choices. And she said the percentage of people who apply and get the cocktail. That it's not a high percentage of people who actually end up using it. Remember what the percentage yeah, is? Yeah, a third never use it. A third never use it. Uh-huh. Wow. And two-thirds do. Yeah, okay. Um, Compassion and Choices is the nonprofit that uh, got this bill passed. They are, um, they are very much self-advocates for choice. Mm-hmm. Good. Of, and... Um, so, yeah, we got the medication, and it was another two weeks after he got the medication before he decided he wanted to do it. He, he had some things he wanted to get his ducks in a row with, um, and he had some paperwork he wanted to finish up. Um, and so uh, two weeks later, he picked the date, he picked the time, and um, he told us who he wanted to be there. Right. And um, then our 
kids put it on Facebook that he was imminently dying. And the most beautiful thing happened. He started getting emails and phone calls and texts and from people that he'd known his whole life, um, from his boy scout. He was scoutmaster when our son was in scouts. Some of the kids in the troop called to tell him how much he'd meant to them. Wow. That's um, cool. He got texts and phone calls and letters from people he went to grade school with, um, old employees that we had had 20 years ago, um, from classroom classmates from when he was in high school. He had just finished putting together their 50th high school reunion. Wow, that was a huge thing That was a huge thing for him. He worked on it for almost a year. Yeah. And we were afraid that when he didn't have that, that, you know, he would decline. And and he did. did. He did. He did. So, but the beautiful thing was he got to hear all of these messages, how he had touched other people's lives. And I think we all want to leave this earth thinking that we've touched someone's life and made it better. Um, We say it was almost like having a memorial service before he passed. Right. And it was like a weight lifted off of his shoulders. When he got approved for aid, he knew that he had a way out. Right. And, you know, um, so he and I talked uh, three days before he, uh, his death date, and he was so confident. I, we talked about, he wanted to talk about heaven, the afterlife, so we talked about that. And he said, he said you know, Steve, he said, I'm 70% sure that something happens, and I'm 30% not sure. He said, but that's all right. I just need that 70% and, and I'm good. I thought to myself, man, talk about courageous and hopeful. Yeah. And it was just yeah. incredible. And so the difference between when he attempted suicide, he was by himself, isolated in a room. He had to, to try to save medication up. He was trying. It was just he couldn't tell anybody. It was a desperate solo act. Compared to this, he was surrounded by his kids, by his friends. He got to hear from everybody. The kids spent his a grandkids. week. The, the kids spent a week, I'm thinking, yes. right? The last week of his, of yep. his life, they were there. They were there. We went through thousands of pictures. Um, yeah. That and, and I think that for him, it made him realize he had another life right. before right. this illness. Right. Um, we had travel pictures and scuba diving pictures and just everything. And it was such a satisfying experience for Jeff that, and at no time, no time did he ever waver that this is not what he wanted to do. Right. And so when when he actually set the date and the time, and um, he knew this was what he wanted and we honored his wishes 
And we also did not want him to be in pain the rest of his life. So let's talk about the day he died. The day he died, he um, had everybody come at 10 o'clock, um, including Steve and uh, another pastor here at the church, Tom, um, my very best friend, his kids, and his grandkids. Yeah. They wanted to participate. Yeah. Um, and he said, that morning he said, I want to put on my bright pink shirt. We said, okay. And we told him at that time, Jeff, you do not have to do this if you're having doubts. He said, nope. I know this right. is what I need to do. Right. And this is what I want to do. Right. Because he knew that the worse he got, I couldn't take care of him any longer. Right. And that his only other choice was to go live in a nursing home or... or and suffer. And suffer. Still and su suffer yeah. while he was there. Right. And um, he had made up his mind. This is how he wanted it. And, um, you know, I think we all would like the power to maybe decide how we're going to, how, what our death is going to look like. Right. Um, and he was able to do that. And he, I asked him, I said, oh, Jeff, are you ready to do this? He said, I am. The, um, the children mix the cocktail. Mm -hmm. And when I say children, they're adults. They're, yes. <laughs> your kids are in their late 30s, 40s, right? 40s and 50s. 40s and, oh, man, yeah. I'm getting old. <laughs> 40s and 50s. So when I say children, they're full-on adults. They mix the cop cocktail. Yes, we could mix it. We just couldn't administer it. We put it in a glass. Uh, we had champagne. We gave Jeff a big toast. He took some champagne. Um, and we said a prayer. We held hands. We all told him how much we loved him. Right. Um, and after you take the cocktail, there's a kind of a bitter taste in your mouth. So the, the nurse had told us that he could have something like ice cream or something. So he wanted chocolate ice cream. <laughs> And by God, we got his chocolate ice cream. <laughs> right. And he took his final bites of chocolate ice cream and closed his eyes. And in an hour, he was gone. Yeah. I mean, there is literally no suffering. I mean, he took it within 10 minutes. I mean, we said, are you fine? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm okay. He closed his eyes. It's like he started sleeping mm -hmm. almost immediately. And then we sat with him, and his breathing slowly, slowly died, passed. And then within an hour, he was gone. Mm -hmm. He was gone. Mm -hmm. And a hospice nurse came. She had to um, declare the death. Um, and um, it was, he had also, um, Jeff had wanted to donate his body to science. Because he always said, well, there's enough wrong with me to teach a lot of people a lot mm -hmm. of things. Mm -hmm. So um, so they, she called the um, University of Colorado team. They come and picked up his body. Wow. What a profound story. And, you know, my takeaway from this is uh, several things. If, one, made is an amazing gift. If you're thinking about MADE, 
don't second guess. You need to act, though. You really need to act. You need to act quickly. Um, you need to have a loving community around you. In fact, one of the things that we're talking about, Jeff, but you can't be in Jeff's position without a family that cares about you. Linda, you've been a lifelong caregiver for Jeff. The work that you did supporting Jeff was phenomenal. The work that your kids did coming around Jeff was phenomenal. I mean, anybody who's a caretaker knows the drain this can be. I mean, while Jeff was suffering, you were there with him, suffering along with him as he suffered. So, I mean, that's another one of my takeaways. Now, another takeaway I had is it really, um, I've worked with so many dying people over the years. I've gone through so many deaths. But the one thing about Jeff was that he stared death right in the face, did not blink. And I thought to myself, I'm I just going to take with me, if Jeff Ferris can do this, look at death, I can do this. Um, if he has this kind of courage, I can have this kind of courage. If he has this kind of resilience, then I can step up and have this resilience. What are some of your takeaways? Um, well, you know, when we first started into this, I had no idea what to expect. Mm -hmm. But I saw him, once the decision was made, he, he, he just changed. I mean, he was just so, like I said, it was like a weight had been lifted off right. of his soldiers right. because he knew he either had to die suffering or he had to commit suicide yeah and um neither one of those w was what he wanted right so um it became a it it became it was hard but when all those people started calling him and when the you know we rallied around him because we he'd set the date about two weeks before mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um those were glorious two weeks I mean you know he he was um happy he knew what was going to happen he knew how he was going to do it um and I guess you know I I think well we kind of all would like to know that right. maybe 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 right. you don't but but what he got to hear from people and he died so peacefully and I feel like that is what made, it was a gift that made gave, yeah. gave to him because he was so peaceful. Right. Okay, I'm going to bring our conversation to the end right there. We've covered a lot of things. Um, you can call Compassionate Choices. You can call a doctor. You can call, uh, you can even Google Made and try to find some mm -hmm. avenues. But again, don't be afraid. No. If Jeff can do this, you can do this. Linda, thank you so much for joining me on the Cowboy Jesus podcast. Thank you, friends, for listening. I really would encourage you to please share this podcast with people uh, this, uh, this episode because there's a lot of people out there who are thinking about this and they need your care and support. You can contact me at Columbine United Church and I can uh, maybe hook you up with Linda or with other people who have gone through this so that you don't have to go alone. You can uh, find Cowboy Jesus on Facebook. You can find it on the Church Columbine United Church's website. 
You can also read the Cowboy Jesus podcast. You can follow me on Facebook at Rev Steve. A lot of different ways we can connect. Again, thank you, Linda, for being with me today. You're and welcome. thank you for listening. Take care.